This is the EPLOG audio experience. You are listening to the Artist Podcast with me, Suchita. Stay tuned. This episode is a part of Artist and Mental Health series. These episodes, we cross-pollinate between our mental health podcast, The SOS Show and The Artist. The last episode we did was with actor Rajiv Khandelwal. Check that out if you haven't. Our guest for today's episode is peace activist Azim Kamisa, who started the forgiveness movement that has now reached millions of people. This movement is important for all of us, especially the vulnerable community of the artists, because we live in a cutthroat competitive world and there are many a times that other people rub badly on us or vice versa and we are unable to forgive. May this episode give us the wisdom to look deeper into our lives and on more profound values. Forgiveness can be a great value. That is our movement in this rickety path. Hello, Mr. Azim Kamisa. Welcome to our podcast and thank you for being here. Such an honor to have you on a podcast and thank you for your time. You're very welcome and thank you for having me. I have been trying to trace you for a while, trying to get your connects. And one of the reasons, of course, being because I watched your TED Talk, such a heart-wrenching, touching TED Talk. And I came to know about the year 1995 when your 20-year-old son was murdered by a 14-year-old boy, Tony, and he was a juvenile and your son had just got engaged. And 25 years later, you have a close bond with Tony, the boy who murdered your son. We talk about forgiveness every day in life. And this act of forgiveness is the most, most difficult thing for a parent to forgive the murderer of his only son. When did you decide, Azim? At what point in the year 1995 did you decide that you had to forgive after all the pain that you went through? Yes. It was the right choice, Suchita. And Mm. I always have said that sometimes in deep trauma and tragedy, there is a spark of clarity. Obviously, Mm. the shock was an earthquake. There is nothing more complex and devastating than losing your only child. Had I been there, I would have put my body between him and the bullet. As a parent, you do that instinctively. Of course, I wasn't there. Yes. And uh, when I first got the news from Homicide to tell me that Tariq had been shot and killed, my knee-jerk reaction was, it's mistaken identity. Because uh, I live in San Diego, we have a lot of Latin American people here that have dark skin like I do, and my son did, and I thought it didn't make any sense because Tariq was was a good kid. He was a student at San Diego State University, gifted writer, brilliant photographer, wanted to graduate Mm. as a journalist and maybe work for National Geographic and worked as a pizza delivery man. I had no clue. So 
I yes. quickly hung up on homicide and called his home. And as you pointed out, he was recently engaged to Jennifer, expecting him to yeah. pick up the phone. Of course, he didn't. She did. She couldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. She was a sobbing because she knew before I knew because homicide had oh their God. home first. That's when it hit. I was in my kitchen. I remember losing both of my, losing strength in both of my legs as I collapsed to the floor, hit my head against the refrigerator and curled up in a ball on the floor. You know, I don't have the words to describe to you how excruciatingly painful that experience was. Except that I never felt pain like that. It was literally like a nuclear bomb going off in my heart. And the pain was so unbearable that I had my first out-of-body experience. I left my body. I practiced as a Sufi Muslim. I used to meditate an hour a day when Tariq was alive. Today my practice is two hours. I believe in God. And I believe I left my body and went into the loving embrace of God. I don't remember how long I was gone for, but God held me in an embrace for what seemed like a very long time. And when the explosion subsided, God sent me back into my body with the wisdom that there are victims at both ends of the gun. And I did not really realize the relevance of that download. It didn't come from my intellect or my love heart. It was more a download from a higher power. But I have learned that every saint has suffered the dark night of the soul. And I have learned that in deep trauma, there is the spark of clarity So I never went uh, to looking at Tony uh, with anger and resentment and hatred. I saw him as a victim as well. It's easy to see. My son was a victim Mm. of the 14-year-old. It takes little, I think it takes empathy and compassion to see that the 14-year-old was a victim of society. Who's the enemy here? Mm. Is it the 14-year-old who killed my son or is it the societal Forces that force many young men and women to fall through the crack and then get involved with crime and gangs and drugs and alcohol and weapons. And I don't have to tell you, in America, America, we lose a child every hour. Just in in this year, which is not even, we've had 130 mass shootings this year. It's not even 130 days. So... I, of yes. course, I did not know all of this. And I found that the real yeah. culprit was not the 14-year-old, rather the societal forces that force many young people to choose lives of crime and gangs. And we lose so many young people every single day in the richest nation in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe yes. the numbers. I mean, you think about uh, uh, Columbine and you think about uh, 
you know, uh, uh, New Connecticut elementary, you know, kids in Sandy Hook were six, seven years were killed, 20 kids. And Uvalde, which was was 19 kids that were in maybe, you know, they were middle school kids. And and, and Mm. I couldn't get it. So nine months after... Tariq died, and to honor him and to help my family deal with this tragedy in in a positive way, I decided to start yeah. the Tariq Kamisa Foundation. And my initial mandate of the Tariq Kamisa Foundation was to stop kids from killing kids by breaking the mm. of youth mm. violence. And we essentially had three mandates. First was to save lives of children. Because we lose so many of it. Yeah. And the second was power yeah. them with the right choices so they don't end up in crime and gangs and drugs and alcohol and weapons. And the third was to teach the principles of nonviolence, of accountability, yeah. of empathy, of compassion. Of course, forgiveness is a big part of our story of peace building and speaking. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not going to wake up one day and find out that the world is at peace, we all have to be proactively involved with it. And I started with a very simple Mm. premise, that violence is a learned Mm. behavior. No child is born violent. Tony wasn't born violent. But if you accept that as a truism, then nonviolence can also be a learned behavior. But you have to teach it. Kids are not going to learn nonviolence through osmosis. And here we are 28 Mm. years later. The foundation is still in its 28th year and Mm. very active in keeping kids away from violence and drugs and alcohol and weapons, getting them involved to be non-violent leaders, committed to building peace with themselves, Mm. their schools, their families, and their community. Mm. And with the grace of Mm. God, the Mm. foundation grows every year and I've now given in the last 28 years over 1,000 presentation to over a couple of million kids around the world teaching nonviolence mm. essentially came from my tragedy and uh, yeah and uh, I'm, glad, yeah. I'm glad I went the way I did because soon after I started the foundation I reached out to Tony's grandfather and I yeah. invited him to join me because, you know, my attitude was we both lost a son. I can't bring Tariq back from the dead. You can't do anything to get Tony out of the adult criminal justice system. He was the first 14-year-old to be tried as an adult with a 25-year. Yes. So coming to the point of, as I'm coming to the point of, you know, that internal journey when you decided that both of you have lo- lost You've lost your son, the juvenile. At that point, uh, Tony was tried as an adult at that point. But when you reached out to him after nine months of your son passing, that nine months, when you decided that you need to go back and meet him, what was, Azim, your internal journey? A very, very difficult journey. And I'm asking this because I just want to our listeners to know that forgiveness 
in any act is a very difficult thing but forgiveness when it comes to this heinous crime is the most difficult thing to actually do right yeah. what was your internal journey what did you go through it to reach that point yeah, i think is that uh, the internal journey on forgiveness was you have to separate yourself from the offender which is very really hard for victims to do but i recognize mm. that if i stayed in anger and resentment and hatred who am i hurting yeah there's a good quote from yes uh, there's a good quote from nelson mandela which says that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die so all of my family yes. had forgiven except jennifer which was tarik's fiance she was quite angry with me and i told him you know what i'm going to leave tony to the higher power i don't want to go through life in anger resentment and hatred i have my journey tony has his yes. journey i always believe that karma balances there's no escaping wrongdoing yes. but even the scriptures tell us that yeah. leave judgment to the higher power and and the second yes. point suchita is that if you don't forgive you remain a victim Yeah. I had a very full life. I worked in international yeah. finance, traveled the world. Then I had no life. It took literally all of my willpower just to climb out of bed. I wanted that full life back. And unless you forget you're yes. a victim. I didn't want to go through life on Yeah. I wanted that full life back. So I recognized that that forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. But my you need to go visit uh, Tony's grandfather was partly came from my meditation because i was wondering how he was dealing with his grandson having killed an innocent unharmed human being that's hard for you too yes and it tony lived yes very tony hard. lived with his grandfather and calls him daddy plus Mm. Uh, plus I wanted to invite him and say I've created this foundation of stopping kids from killing kids it's a big jump you know after I found out how he was dealing with Tony I said you know I can't bring my son back from the dead you can't get Tony out of the criminal justice system but the, the one thing we can do is make sure other parents and grandparents don't suffer like you do and I do and it behooves us to do yes because it's such a big problem we lose so many kids and this is a big job to stop kids from killing kids i can't do this by myself will you help me so he was very mm-hmm. to take my mm-hmm. hand of forgiveness and today we are still together 28 years later he is as close to me as my own brother yes. i visited tony 5 years later when he was 19 stayed with him yeah till he was 39 when he was finally released in 2019 and now he's joined okay. and he volunteers for the foundation just as his grandfather and I have done for 28 years and he's now volunteering you know since 2019 2020 uh, for the last 2 uh, 3 years right but think about the power of him because you know right. we speak often together he's on stage and saying when i was 11 i joined a gang when i was 14 i killed mr hassan mm. i spent the last 10 years yes. in prison 25 years to be precise i wish i could turn the clock back yes and the foundation reaches yeah. tens of thousands of kids every year 
how many 11 years old that are thinking about joining a gang will change their mind? Of course, we're getting evidence. Yes, evidence yes. of it. So, so when you look right, at, right, 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 look at that decision, the thing that I would like your audience to get is it was a win for Tariq yeah. because we are doing good work in Tariq's name, and as a, as my. Yes. My Sufi spiritual teacher taught me that good compassionate deeds done in the name of the departed are spiritual currency and provide high octane fuel in your life because we believe there's life after you die. It was a win for Tari. It was a win mm. for me because somehow I found purpose in it. It was a win for the growth. Yes. It was a win for Tony and it's a win for our society. So this is the right yes. decision yes. because it is creating... Uh, 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 a lot of uh, knowledge about violence and forgiveness and restorative justice within our communities and teaching mm. the principles of non-violence to young people. Yes. Azim, tell me in terms of, you said forgiveness is a gift that we give our own selves. Yeah. And what a beautiful and profound line. So the act of forgiveness that you and your family went through in terms of forgiving, uh, you know, Tony, forgiving the act, uh, in a way, also trying to transform other lives that it should not happen to other people and starting the foundation. You, your family, that must be going through a tough time at that point. What did this act do to your emotion? The act of accepting and the act of deciding that you will transform and touch the humanity of people through what has happened to your family. You know, I was the one to lead, uh, but part of my family members, they all have different journeys. Forgiveness is not something you can yeah. force. My um, yes. parents have passed, but they were alive when Tariq died. And my mother was very spiritual. My dad was a businessman. So I grew up with equal emphasis on my spiritual foundation as I did on my career. And thank, thank God to that, because as I said, in my deepest crisis, which was losing Tariq, my degrees in math and finance, although I was educated at good schools in England, were useless. What saved me was my spiritual foundation. Um, my daughter took many more years before she was able to forgive, although she has, and she runs the foundation I created and has a very special yeah. relationship with Tony. Uh, my mom and dad were more quicker to forgive. Tariq's mother uh, mm. has also forgiven, but has not met Tony yet. Um, so, okay. So, you know, okay. we all have different journeys. Uh, Yes, but I can tell you without a doubt that it was the right choice for me because as yes. I pointed out that at a point all victims have to forgive. If they don't, they stay in this very corrosive emotions of hatred and resentment and mostly that manifests into cancer. When I first started the foundation, yes. there wasn't much clinical studies on forgiveness. Today, 
there are 500 clinical studies on forgiveness that have proven that it is not only important to heal yourself, it is also important to create better health for you. There's a forgiveness project in Stanford. There's a forgiveness project in London. And uh, at the end of the day, if you can recognize that forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself, I would say it's a selfish thing to do. Yeah. You do it for yourself. I was corrected in one of my yeah. workshops and saying it's not selfish, it's self-full. And the ability mm. to separate yourself from the offender, understanding that the offender has his own karma and leave the offender to the higher power. I gave you a story about this. I, mm. I, do, a, I do a two-day workshop mm. on teaching Forgiveness, not only about forgiving people that have harmed you, but forgiving yourselves. And in one of my, mm. in one of my workshop, I had a Jewish lady and, uh, and, uh, uh, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Mm. And she, on the morning of the second day, she was very angry and ammunated. And she says, Azim, you don't get it. I said, what is it I don't get? I'm yeah. working on forgiving Hitler. <laughs> She mm. lost, mm. lost her family in the Holocaust, and you could see. The, oh my God! You could see the anger on her face. You could see the mm. hatred and resentment for Hitler. You could actually feel, of course, in her aura yeah. that she was steeped in this hatred. And I said to her, "You know what? Yes, Hitler died seventy years ago. How is that working for you?" I see that I can feel your hatred and anger for Hitler. But let me tell you, the higher power knows how to deal with Hitler better than you do or I do. And as I speak to you, the higher power is dealing mm. with Hitler. Why do you want Hitler to mm. occupy this important, meager real estate of your psyche? Why don't you let it go? Why don't you let Hitler go knowing the higher power is dealing with it? So love and joy can live there. It's, for, mm. it's, it's better for your health. And somehow the light bulb went on. And on the end of the second day, she hugged me, I don't know how many times, and thanked me. And then a month later, I get this beautiful card from her saying, Azim, thank you for the mm. workshop. P.S. My husband thanks you. We've been married for 25 oh. years, and we now have mm. the most loving relationship because Hitler does not live here anymore. So if you, if you get that, mm. that if you stay in this area mm. of anger and hatred and resentment, or even in guilt or shame, it's important to forgive yeah. others that have harmed you, but also to forgive yourselves, because these are very debilitating emotions that preclude you from living your life's fullest, fullest potential. You know, I mean... Yes, beautifully months. said. That talk was over a million. I bought eighty some awards. I, you know, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, but it came from the initial yeah. position yeah. to forgive. It's a gift. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's a huge gift. Yeah, huge, huge, Azim, huge. But a very, very difficult thing to do. And I would say for most of the people, look at the Ukraine war that is on since like almost a year, just doesn't get over. Yeah. Look at the, looking at the bigger things, but just, just to touch small things, uh, uh, initial first right now that I want to ask you is that your case was brutal. It was sudden. It was tragic. 
what about the daily cases the daily acts of forgiveness that we need to do in relationships the little things that we need to do in friendships the little things that we even need to do with acquaintances yeah and i think what kind of what kind of mindset azim do you think we need to cultivate yeah. to be able to do these daily acts of forgiveness every day right absolutely that's a great question suchita so my practice yes. every morning is after i meditate i say my prayers yeah. and i forgive tony yes i've been doing this now for 28 years my forgiveness muscle is very strong now i've been very fortunate mm-hmm. to meet very amazing enlightened human beings like his holy mm. dalai lama i've met him now six times wow the first time i met him mm. was in 2004 we were hosted by pope john yeah. paul at, uh, at the summer wow. palace in castel gandolfo italy and one of the things that uh, i mean i he spent uh, 52 days with only 30 of us 30 of us were invited to participate in the wow, conference wow. took nine pages of notes and i did a little lecture wow. i did a little lecture on on all the wisdom i garnered from his holiness we happy to share that with your audience but the one thing he said that uh, i think would be very important to answer your question is that all emotions have a frequency some emotions have a very low frequency yes. like for instance uh, guilt and shame and anger and resentment and hatred are very low vibrating frequencies happiness does yes then there are certain emotions that have a very high frequency like goodwill friendship trust empathy gratitude compassion forgiveness is right there with love at any given moment you you know what are you vibrating up here or are you vibrating down there yes. because happiness lives in this high vibratory emotion so if you create a practice yes rather than somebody crosses you on the freeway which happens a lot in america probably happens that in india you don't start all the time shout profanity and put your horn and anger and resentment you you bless them because you don't want yes. to ever leave not and when you meet his holiness the dalai lama he's vibrating with his yeah. high vibratory emotions 724 us mortals oh, wow. every day we get angry happens to me too yeah and when that happens to me and i fall down <laughs> i add another half an hour to my 2 hour meditation practice and get back up here but i can tell you one thing hmm. having practice and hmm. teaching forgiveness and teaching nonviolence for the last 28 years i am spending more time in this high vibratory emotions and when you do Lovely. you are happier you are healthier and you are more in the flow of life and it's not that complicated to know mm. at any given moment every day many opportunities to forgive where are you vibrating yeah lovely beautiful beautiful as i'm telling this vibration thought is something that okay i do that every day because i understand the space you do it because of course you understand the space much more you know the common person who does a 9 to 5 job and is fighting for survival it's the daily forgiveness muscle to strengthen tell me one thing that they can do every day one thing that they need to be conscious about every day to practice the forgiveness 
if I may say forgiveness therapy or strengthening your forgiveness muscle, that one thing that they should be just conscious about. Meditation. It's one word. Lovely. To look for inner guidance. All my ahas. Inner guidance. All my ahas come through the inner guidance. Even if you have a nine-to-five job, even if you are a victim, uh, turn inside yeah. every day. There's a guided meditation yes. on my website. It's a free download. Okay. I have two guided meditations okay. on the homepage. If you scroll down to the okay. one is on forgiveness. The other one is on okay. your life's mission. I really encourage your audience to put meditation in. Yes. And guided meditation is easier than an unguided meditation. And there's a and there's yes. a preamble because I meditate three different times a day. I recommend at least twice a day. But I do different things. If you're on that website, you can you can listen to the preamble one time and then you can do the guided meditation either on forgiveness or your life mission as often as you can. But I would recommend it in the yes. morning. And that will connect you with your inner guidance because all the answers you seek are already within you. And your spirit knows what's awesome. best. Awesome. So the one thing that has helped me the most. I never not meditate. Even when I travel the world and speak, I'm on different time zones. I may meditate a little less than two hours. I never not meditate. Wow, it's wonderful. So they can look for these two meditations on your website, the guided meditations, one on the act of forgiveness. So we will mention your website there and uh, for audience in the description. Great. Okay, Zim, tell me this. What happens to the practice of forgiveness when we look at larger contexts, let's say politics, let's say the Ukraine war that's been on, Ukraine-Russia war. How do politicians not understand this beautiful therapy of forgiveness? Right. What can yeah. we do? Yeah, <laughs> it gets more complicated when you look at society. Yeah. And it's difficult to do that while the war is still going on. But if you remember yes. the apartheid movement, uh, Nelson Mandela, when he was finally released from prison, they asked him, how is it that you were able to forgive your captors? His comment was, if I didn't, I would still be in prison. And Desmond Tutu, wow. Desmond Tutu created the, the, the organization of uh, peace and truthfulness to look at all of the atrocities that were done during the appetite. And, 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 and forgiveness played a very big part because one of, I met with Desmond Tutu um, in his books. Uh, and one of the things he says is that without forgiveness, we do not have a future. And, uh, and the Truth and yes. Reconciliation Committee that he founded, you know, eventually forgave all the oppressors. Now, that is a societal example of how uh, South uh, Africa dealt with uh, with all the atrocities of uh, uh, of, uh, of of the apartheid movement. Another good example is Rwanda, Tutus and Hutus. Yeah, over a million and a half people were slaughtered. Eventually, they buried the hatchet, and they forgave. So you know, in, at, at at some point. Uh, if you are, I mean, there's a lady here that I know that I often, well, not often, but I've spoken with her and been interviewed with her by major, major 
national magazines, is a Holocaust survivor and has forgiven Hitler. Because she knows that for well, her to go forward, that she has to. Now, yeah. in terms of politicians, uh, I'm not sure that they get forgiveness. Uh, you know, I ask a, a very prominent, actually was when I was in India, a politician, and I yeah. asked him, I said, what is a politician? He says, a, a good politician will take the good news or the bad news in his career and turn it into, you know, into publicity. So, you know, I don't have a high regard for the political leaders we have, not only, uh, you know, in Russia and Ukraine, but also in America. You know, we don't have good leaders. One of my books is Leadership for the Greater Good, and I've taken uh, about a dozen people that are from different uh, nationalities, different genders, different religions, and, and, and discuss that a good leader has to have at least three different competencies. Of course, have competency in your career. But because you are a leader, yeah. you also have to take on societal issues because there are societal issues in every community and create viable, affordable, effective solutions, much like I've created with youth violence. And thirdly, you need to yeah. espouse and role model and teach good ethical, moral, and spiritual values like empathy and compassion and forgiveness and love and and uh, and peace building that you have to do all three things if you're a good leader well how many leaders come to mind that have this three competency yeah that have taken societal issues that have t uh, created affordable solutions that are good in their career and yeah. are teaching good moral spiritual and ethical values well i don't see many especially yeah. in the political landscape there are people like that Come yeah. more like in the spiritual traditions, like in the Swamis in yes. India. I just yes. finished a book by Swami Chinmaya called the uh, yeah. a, a Manual of Self Unfoldment. I mean, the Vedanta is very rich with the uh, knowledge of uh, of, yes. uh, of how you can become more spiritual and 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 not only espouse these values, but also to role model and teach it to our young people. Yeah. Lovely. Azim, tell me empathy, compassion, nonviolence. These three things you've been endorsing and you're saying this is what we need to teach to society. We perhaps need to go to schools and incorporate these uh, emotions, these skills rather, uh, if I may use the word, in kids right from the beginning. Also, you've talked about sustained peace, goodwill, friendship, trust, empathy, compassion, all coming together to create a society that's more forgiving, that's more accepting. How do we spread this, you know, like a few people talking versus it's going out there in the world and spreading on its own? What are the things that we can do? Well, yeah, that's another good question, Suchita. The precursor for forgiveness sure. is compassion. The precursor for compassion yeah. is empathy. And the precursor for empathy is to get to know the other person. You can't have empathy for somebody yeah. you don't know. I know everything yeah. there is to know about Tony. He was born to a 14-year-old. His parents were gang involved. His father was never in his life, shunned him every time he met him. His favorite uncle was killed in an automatic gunfire in South Central Los Angeles. He was seduced when he was eight years old by one of a relative. 
And sometimes I think if I grew up just like empathy, I probably would have killed because Tariq was a pizza delivery oh. man. Nobody, he didn't care about him. So the critical yeah. thing is how do you teach empathy? Now we do this in the foundation. Yeah. And the way we teach it is to say that we have a course about empathy. Obviously, we share our story. We do an exercise called Just Like Me. And, uh, and I do that in my workshop where you pick somebody that, you, that has hurt you, that uh, uh, probably when you think about it, you get very angry. I was telling them, pick the worst, worst yeah. thing that happened to you. And then you said, just like me, Tony's afraid. Just like me, Tony's trying to live his life. Just like me, Tony was hurt. Hurt people, hurt people. So then you create empathy for this person. So we were teaching this class in seventh grade, which are about 13-year-olds. And there was this one kid where he, you could tell he's a wannabe gang member, very disruptive kid, and all of the behaviors. Mm. But somehow this empathy lesson got to him. And the homework was go walk in somebody else's shoes you don't know. Because the one way to create mm. empathy is to walk in somebody else's shoe. Because if I walk a mile in your shoe, I get to know you, Suchita. If you walk a mile in my shoes, I get you get to know me. And when the, when the teacher mm. asks, because after empathy, our next lesson is on compassion, who wants to share their homework on empathy? Because he was very animated and put his hand up. Mm. And the teacher was trying to avoid him because this is a very disruptive kid thinking he's going to ruin my class. But she couldn't avoid him. Mm. He wanted to speak. So finally she said, okay, yeah. what is it you want to share? He said, I was walking in the hood. A hood in America is the inner city. And this kid gave me an angry, dirty look. Now, the kid giving him an angry, dirty look is African-American. He's Hispanic, and he's bigger than this kid. And he says, the, the rules in the, in the hood is very simple. If, if a rival gang member gives you an angry, dirty look, you go beat him up. But since you taught me, you don't know me till you walk a mile in my shoes. I walked up to him and says, why are you giving me an angry, dirty look? And the kid told me, I'm not giving you an angry, dirty look. I'm angry because my brother was shot and killed right in this spot mm. last night. So what did you do? I reached out to him. I told him, you know, I really know how you feel because my uncle was shot in the same spot six months ago. That's it. Oh, my God. You see the mm. power in this. What could have mm. been a violent act became a compassionate. Mm. So tell me you can't teach this yeah. stuff. Lovely. Not only are these teach or not only are these concepts teachable, our kids are hungry for them. And it's good to, to teach this yeah. early. And I can tell you for sure yeah. that of all of these emotions, empathy is the most important. We don't have enough empathy in our society, in our culture, in our families, in our organizations, in our institutions. But it's yeah, I lovely. Yeah? Lovely, lovely. I think, yeah, with the story, it's like you need to know the other person's, you need to be open to hear the other person's story before jumping to conclusion or judging the person. No. It's always, that's how we will develop empathy for other people. Uh, you know, like the guy came in the same spot and said, yes, it happened to me as well. And it, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Azim, tell me this. Yeah, please. No, I'm just saying that at some level, we've all harmed people as well. 
as mortals, yeah. sometimes we'll harm people that are closest to us, like family members. Yes. So none of us are perfect. Yeah. We are here to learn perfection through our spiritual practice. So that's important to get. Yes. When somebody offends you, we need to get in touch that we are also offenders at some level. And that kind of creates the ability to start the journey of empathy. Yeah, yeah. As in we as a society, we have been taught, there's a certain culture we live in, and we have been taught uh, to project ourselves in a certain way, to deal with people, to uh, negotiate our terms, to be successful in the society. And words like compassion, words like vulnerability, words like forgiveness are still considered words of weakness when we come to a professional life, also in a personal life. Do you think that these words need to be redefined and reseen and how fast the whole idea can be spread in also a corporate culture, saying that forgiveness, compassion, vulnerability are not words of weakness, they're actually words of strength? Another great question. It's a great quote by Gandhi, famous person from India. Yeah. He says, forgiveness is not for the meek, it is for the courageous. And there's a lot about yeah. uh, servant leadership. I've written this in one of my books, Leadership of the Greater Good, where a good leader has to be not about him, but about his team. And that takes humility, yes. right? Now, I believe that yes. when you have humility, then you are able to have empathy, compassion, and forgiveness. And I believe that when you have humility, you have confidence. Because when you are, when you are humble, you're essentially saying that you are an instrument of the higher power. It's not you doing the work. It's the higher power working through you. As I believe the higher power has worked through me, to have me manifest yeah. everything I have. It's not me. My humility says, thank you for choosing me to do this work. And because I am a conduit, because I'm a conduit of the higher power, it gives me confidence. Yes. Because now I can tap into the higher power, which has all the answers. Beautiful. That, that, that confidence comes from that humility. And that is a good leader. And I think that besides wow. those two points of humility and confidence, because you are a conduit, that energy shifts. If you're out there autocratic and very bossy, that energy is not very empowering. The biggest job a leader yes. has to inspire his team. But if you are humble yeah. and you show the confidence, that transfers into your team. You come walk the foundation I created for my sons. You can feel this energy in every employee you meet. Beautiful. 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 So it's the leader that takes you through the journey and the leader needs to be humble to be and know that you're actually a conduit who is been given this job. Yeah. The rest gets taken care a of. There's a line said. from Proverbs, which is part of the scriptures. Humility goes before honor. I love this quote. Wow. Yeah. 
Humility goes before honor. Lovely, beautiful. It's beautifully yeah. said, Azim. I'm so grateful you could take out time be part of this podcast. What a great, great talking session with you and uh, sharing your story. And uh, I'm grateful. Thank you so much for You're being part welcome. of this. You're very welcome. It's session. nice to meet you. I hope you got some precious nuggets from this episode. I definitely did. Do not forget to follow us on our Twitter, Instagram handles with the name Metaphysical Lab, and you can also follow my freshly brewed YouTube page with my name. Take care, guys, and have a great week ahead.